I didn't see you there. Something big is going on here. From hunting ghosts to Bigfoot. Paranormal, UFOs, true crime, and more. We won't just be spouting articles. I was researching for your entertainment. Beginning of a new world. The best guac you'll ever fucking eat. True story. It's basically like one day you walk outside and you see that the ants are playing with matches. This, this is, is the Black Cat Report. See you on the other side. It's a spooky day today at the Black Cat Report. I'm Selena, and I'm joined with Gil. Hello. Joey. Hello. And the amazing Betsa Bay. Meow. With part two of the Trinity UFO crash. In our last episode, we ended with Jose and Remy leaving the site of a large craft they discovered after it crashed in one of the canyons on the ranch. There were three creatures panicking inside of it, and the boys were struggling to process what they were seeing. It was getting dark, and while they wanted to stay, they needed to get home. When they made it back to Jose's house, they were met with anxious questions from Faustino, wanting to know what happened. They told him, and while he wasn't sure what to make of the more dramatic details, he was sure they needed to stay away from it now. It was probably the government's, and it was too late for Remy to ride his horse, so they needed to drive him home. Once Faustino got Remy home, he ended up having a long conversation with his mom. He was in an awkward spot, trying to explain why Remy was so late. While on top of that, he was starting to worry that what the boys had found might endanger his job at the refuge. So he actually told his mom what happened, like, this is why your kid was late, because they saw a UFO? Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, no, I mean, he... I. Spoiler alert, spoiler, spoiler, alert, spoiler, spoiler alert. But yeah, I mean, so he's in this like a super awkward spot where he's just like, you know, his mom's there. Um, Remy's coming home super late. I mean, you know, Remy every day. Um, Jose goes, picks up Remy. They saddle up his horse. They ride to the ranch. They work on the ranch. Remy rides home by himself. It was so late that they were like, no, nah, you can't ride your, ho- your like horse home tonight. Like I need to, I need to drive you. So and what then, did the mom say? didn't say what the mom says like we we don't have that oh i feel like if he was worried it was some government thing that they needed to keep hush hush and nobody should know about he probably wouldn't have told her well we don't know exactly what he told her we just know that he was in this super awkward position Mm -hmm. to explain that like or maybe that means that he didn't say anything and that's why it was awkward because like what do you say when it's like they have this ritual thing that they do every day, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it changes. Yeah. It's like, what do you say to that, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's an awkward spot to be mm-hmm. in. <laughs> you know? The next day, Faustino would buy himself time to figure out what to do and who to tell. He kept the boys busy with chores a little closer to home and nowhere near the crash site. So we're going to fast forward to Saturday, the 18th. Fast forward! When returning to the ranch, the boys were greeted by a state policeman who was waiting. It was Eddie Apodoca, a close friend of the Padillas that Faustino had reached out to. It was time to see the crash, and based on the story the boys told, he had no idea what to expect. So with Remy and Jose driving in the truck, Faustino and Eddie following behind in a police car, they set off towards the crash site. They went as far as they could before the boys had to lead them on a hike through the hills and canyons, making their way back to the exact spot they saw the craft. Standing on the hilltop above the crash site, they peered into the canyon. To the boys' surprise, and the adults' annoyance, no one could see anything resting on the canyon floor. There was nothing. Absolutely nothing. Oh my gosh, that's awful. Like, so frustrating. Yeah, like, you as a kid, excited to show, like, this is what we saw, and it's crazy, and then it's like, oh, there's nothing. Yeah, here's a pile of dirt. Yeah. This was just your excuse, like, two days ago for, like, why you were, like, just terribly late getting back and had your parents worried, and then you got your parents so worried, one of them literally gets a hold of a cop. And then you because take them to a big empty hole. Yeah, and then like, and then you drive out into the desert, and then you have to hike. I know <laughs> through hills and canyons, and then it's like, all right, and we're he. And what the fuck, you know? Yeah. Like, and you're looking, and they're just like. Whoa. And you said how how far is it from from where they are? Their home is it like an hour drive? You said. Um, they never gave the exact estimate on how long it is driving. Um, I know by horseback, if you're going the ways and the routes that the kids knew, it's about a half an hour. 
if oh, you're just okay. going like almost straight there on horse. Oh, so um, it's probably like a 15, 20 minute drive. Maybe. No, no, like no. Um, it would have been worse. Like, how do you live in the mountains and to go twelve miles it takes like forty minutes instead of just being like, you know, ten minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like so it's, it's like someone telling us to go to Black Balsam. Yeah. And then hike up there, and then there's nothing. It's like trying to go north from Asheville, where it's just like you literally have to go 120 miles either east or west before you're allowed legally to go north. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. I tried to cut through yards. No, people got mad. Um, so. For sure, you can see the parents just sitting there with their arms crossed, looking at them, like, tapping their arms, looking at them like, so you say it was here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This was this was literally the moment. This is the big hole. <laughs> this is the place that these things were that you saw and that made you late for dinner. Hmm? Hmm? Yeah. Remember not eating dinner that night? That wasn't fun. You know that what might... else isn't fun? Lying. Lying isn't fun either. <laughs> I I get the vibe from Faustino that he was a little bit more um strict than that. Yeah, like I don't know. We learned today. I, I get a vibe from him. But... Oh, yeah, definitely a vibe. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, the boys started defending themselves, um, and they were quickly interrupted by Faustino. Quote, what did you say you saw? Remy responds, it's, it's down there, but we can't see it. After all the stress that led up to staring into an empty canyon, the adults finally agreed they might as well walk down and take a look. While doubting the boys all the way down, Jose and Remy began to lead them in the direction they remembered, and that's when it happened. As they moved closer, it suddenly came into view, leaving all of them confused. Yeah, it just like appears. (laughs) Yeah, it was a fucking, it was a ta-da moment, basically. It's (laughs) like, um, everybody's just staring straight into the same spot um they just went up on top of a hill looked down and this is like a desert so like i know we all live in the mountains and everything's green and like it makes sense if you're at the top of a hill that you can't see a canyon like at the bottom or you can't see the bottom of it um this is a desert so it's like you're at the top of a hill and you're just like yep that's the bottom like you're just staring at it like an empty parking lot basically um and so the whole time that they were like standing up there and then hiking down nothing they're staring in the same direction this whole time and then it phases into existing and a luxury vehicle appears in the parking lot <laughs> <laughs> um, that's pretty cool though like imagine how good it felt for them to be like see <laughs> oh no this this was the moment yeah it's like you called <laughs> I'm here. This is why we were late. Yeah. <laughs> like, haha! Bet you're shocked now. Um, <laughs> Think of it this time. Did they even have TV? No. Yes, the TV didn't exist. So seeing something that's there and then not is like nuts. Yeah. To people not even seeing TVs or being able to be like, oh, cool. Like, oh, this could be just something I saw on TV. Some like graphic effect or something like that. But now they're like, Wait, just looking when, for David Blaine around the corner. 1945. I'm not saying TVs didn't exist. I'm not saying that individuals didn't own them, but I don't get the vibe from the uh, um, from Jose's family and from Remy's family that they had televisions. Um, I also, based off the area where they lived in the country. I don't know if they would have been able to get any signal on an old television. I mean, you're, they don't you're talking signal, about the days where... They get UFOs. Yeah. <laughs> and we present to you direct TV. Um, Back to the story. They were all continuing towards it, and they didn't stop until they were about 10 feet away. Faustino and Eddie went in, making the boys wait outside. They sat down and watched them through the giant hole while they waited. After about five or 10 minutes, they came out. When interviewed by Paola Harris, Remy said, quote, They had a change of attitude, a complete change of attitude. They were almost like different people. They had seen something they'd never seen before, 
And while the boys could clearly see them the whole time while they were inside, the adults were so freaked out by what they had seen they made the boys take an oath. Quote, Okay, here's the way it is. I want you guys to listen. It's very difficult. You're under oath. You don't tell anybody about this. Not your brother. Not your cousin. Not your mother. Not your father. That's our business. We'll take care of that. And the reason for this is that you can get in trouble. We want to keep you out of trouble. The boys agreed, obviously. Yikes. I mean, they broke that oath. <laughs> <laughs> they told the world, no, no, baby. It took, a, it took a few decades, but yeah. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, you can't growl me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. Um, yeah, so... Dang, what did they see? Well, we might find out. I don't know. Um, so, obviously, when that very intense vibe passed, uh, while they were all hiking back and heading towards the cars, uh, the kids asked them, um, hey, did you see creatures inside? Their response? There's no creatures there. Well, you know, maybe they took off. Maybe somebody took them. Maybe. What's that mean? <laughs> Whoa. So by the mid-afternoon, the boys were back at the Badia's home, and they couldn't hold back their excitement. They knew this was big, something important, something they discovered, and it completely blew the adults away. But why? What did they see that they didn't? They wanted to get a better look. It didn't take long before they started thinking through their options. Jose's dad had just left with Eddie, and with the way the roads were laid out, they knew they had at least a couple hours. With no one to slow them down, they figured they could make it in just a half an hour by horse. Plenty of time to get a close look and get back home before the adults would know. So this is the same day they go back? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I'll get back. Gets to be the afternoon. Um, Faustino leaves with Eddie going somewhere, and with the way the roads are just massive, massive, like, mile-long squares out in the southwest kids are sitting here like it doesn't matter where they're going it's going to be at least an hour hour and a half before they can even get back here uh we can get there in half an hour so yeah so with no one to slow them down they figured they could make it to the site in about a half an hour uh plenty of time to go get a close look and get back home before the adults would know they took off eager to finally see it up close this time approaching from the opposite side of the canyon they made their way up the hill before they could make the climb, the canyon had another surprise in store for them. They see something. Two jeeps, army green, parked nearby. Hiding behind the boulders and brush, the boys watched as an already active group of military personnel were picking up debris and wreckage at the crash site. Of course. <laughs> they were taking the boys' discovery. So, Jose and Remy did what any reasonable seven or nine-year-old would do. They started their own little cleanup effort. They started sneaking around, frantically grabbing pieces of debris, of debris and throwing them anywhere they could hide it. The only time they would stop is when they would have to cover their little stashes with rocks and dirt before going back to get more. This kept up for a little while, finally ending when the oblivious military personnel were getting back in their jeeps and the boys had to head back to their horses. The following day, when Jose and Remy made it back to the Padilla Ranch, they found a military vehicle parked and someone talking to Faustino at the door. Sergeant R. Avia. The boys ended up getting introduced to him when they tried to sneak in the back door, and Faustino quickly caught them and told them to come up to the front of the house. They invited him in. Pretty soon afterwards, they began having a conversation about just why he was there. Quote, I'm with the U.S. Army, and what I need to do is get permission from you to go in and cut the fence and put in a gate. Because we have our experimental weather balloon that inadvertently fell on your property. We need to recover that, so we need permission to do that. Festino, why can't you come through the cattle guard like everybody else instead of cutting down my fence? Sergeant, because the equipment that we're going to bring in is wider than your cattle guard, it won't fit through there. In the meantime, 
You have a gate that locks up, and we need to have the key so we can get in there and cut that fence and put in a gate. We'll put in a good gate for you, and then we need to bring in some road building equipment, some graders and so forth, so that we can grade the road and get that truck in there. You know, so we can get the weather balloon out. Faustino. Okay. Sergeant. Keep an eye on the place and make sure nobody goes in there because, you know, this is really important, you know. We don't let anyone know about it. We don't want to cause any trouble for anybody. And so try to keep an eye on it so nobody that hasn't any business going in there doesn't go in there. Faustino. Oh, okay. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Catch it? That catch it? You catch it? may have been the first incident where there was an incredibly um, obvious excuse of a craft being a weather balloon. Yeah. Like, why the fuck would you need to cut through somebody's gate, <laughs> bring in a road grader, make a road... <laughs> I mean, this thing and already then a made tr- a road for them. Yeah, it already <laughs> made a road. Um, and then you need to bring in a flatbed truck to get a balloon. And this was, again, two years before Roswell, where the government said, like, we got a spacecraft, we got a saucer. And then a couple days later, actually, it's a weather balloon, everybody. Everybody chill out. Like, And to keep in mind, like, I want to say that... Um, um, Corona, New Mexico, which is where the Roswell crash actually happened at, is about, uh, please don't hate me if I get this wrong, but about 70 or 80 miles away from where this is happening. Like, it's like right down the road from it. If you got it wrong, email us at haters at blackcat.report. Also, like, how, how can they even compare with a weather balloon? Doesn't look anything like it. Yeah, they um, it's an experimental weather balloon, which, um, apparently they were experimenting with a fourteen foot high, thirty foot long, solid metal, avocado shaped ball thing, um, and they accidentally just used a trebuchet and threw it through the mountain range, and they're like, "Damn it, this balloon doesn't work!" <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, like. It's a balloon? <laughs> like, Why you no work, balloon? Like, even if this wasn't a spacecraft, even if so many of these things are, so many of these points in the story were just fabricated or, you know, misremembered or whatever, um, like, what the fuck were they doing for something that large to actually end up there? Like, what were they were just like, all right, we're just going to put you inside of this giant ball, right? And you know that it was the sergeant that was there. We're just going to put you inside of this giant-ass ball, right? And we're going to fill it up with helium. So you're going to be laughing. You're going to be having a great time. And then we're going to put some uh, some explosives underneath it. All right, we have a bunch of them left. We're going we're going atomic. We don't need TNT anymore. So we got a bunch. We'll put it underneath it. Well, pop it. Pop it like popcorn. And we'll see how far you fly. Wherever you land... That's America. Run around. <laughs> run around like, and squeal as loud as you can. Yeah. Every, all, for a long time. And I'm I'm so glad that we had uh, uh, discriminatory hiring practices when we made a point to only hire people three and a half feet tall with four fingers. That was, uh, you know, I hope the day comes that we never lose the ability to hire people specifically based on appearance. You know, I feel like they were way ahead of their time. They were. They yeah. really were. <laughs> Way ahead of their time. All I mean, to be to be fair, I f- do feel like the the easiest explanation is if they were like, you know, we're testing our new weapon. It's it's not a new weapon. It it's kind of an old weapon. Like you said earlier, it's it's just a big trebuchet of shorts that just <laughs> just shoots giant metal things. Like we graduated from like the big on fire ball that we send because you know we have different defenses yeah, nowadays. That's so old. That's old school. Yeah. So we wanted to just like graduate a, a tiny bit. Our technology's not that much better. Yeah. So we just want to make you know go back to go forward. They're yeah. taking two mm-hmm. steps back. Or, yeah. Yeah. Two steps back. One for step humanity. Forward. Yeah. For yeah. humanity. Yeah. 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 For humanity. Yeah. We're taking for humanity. two steps back, one step forward. Yeah. For one humanity. Equaling one step back for humanity. Yes. I mean, isn't it one small 
giant leap for man what's what's the quote one small step for man one giant leap backwards for mankind thank you that's the that is the sergeant's motto that was like buzz armstrong and neil buzz aldrin tyson that was on the moon (laughs) yeah i believe and yeah yeah neil degrasse tyson who was a a senator in ohio yeah Yeah. again did a great job haters at black cat dot report if we got (laughs) any of that wrong Although the military had been there before, they now had permission from Jose's dad. The next day, equipment was already coming in. A new, wider gate was being built, and at least three to four soldiers were working to clean up the site. And while they were fast getting there and starting, there was a distinct amateurish quality to the whole ordeal. This crew and their process were loud, awkward, undisciplined, and incredibly obvious. Damn. For for sure, they were literally sitting at the bar, all karaokeing at before this happened. And somebody got a cell phone call from the army and was like, "I get guys, uh, something crashed. We gotta gotta go check it out." And I mean, you know, what was the? I wouldn't know a popular song at the time, but one of them was probably singing something about the U.S. Woo! And um, they were just they got the call and they're like, "Oh, nah, dang it! Now we gotta go out and do stuff." Thought we won. It's a super fucking awkward moment. Like, you're in the military. Super long ass. I mean, it's literally called World War II. You know, like, a very big moment, and it's done, and you just fucking won. You just want to leave. You just want to go home. Like, you may have gotten uh, conscripted, or you may have enlisted, like, just two months before the end of the war. Right, mm-hmm. and then now you're just stuck out there. The war's over, and you're like, "Well, damn it! Why the fuck am I out here? <laughs> this is an awkward. This is, it's a transition, right?" Mm-hmm. So, and they're they got a lot going on. So, uh, yeah. So, the sergeant, you know, lot on his plate at the moment. So yeah, uh, they had little to no operational security, and all the dedication of a trust fund kid looking for a job just to make their parents happy. The soldiers were young. They weren't wearing any any protective equipment. They were blasting country music so loud that the kids could hear it all across the 80,000-acre ranch. As you would. They're parked... I mean, they're literally parked out in the desert just blasting music from their Jeep, like, just... Oh, yeah, that's a Ford commercial. I mean, I'm pretty sure that was Ford's last commercial. Yeah. Pretty sure that was Ford's last truck. Come at me. Come it's so <laughs> funny that like they make fun of Hispanic people that do that, and you know they listen to their banda music, but then like you guys play mm-hmm. country music. <laughs> so oh no, I'm aware. It's so funny. It's some it's bullshit. Like, you guys do it too, mm-hmm. like in the middle of the desert. Yeah, I mean, you think nobody's watching. Except for the seven and nine year old creeping around God, through the hilltop staring at you. <laughs> like a weather balloon. I don't know about God, but Jose and Remy are probably always watching you. Um, always crashing in the desert. <laughs> like a weather balloon. Back to the story. At lunchtime, they would drop everything and head into town to eat at the Owl Bar and Cafe. In a town like San Antonio, New Mexico, which at the time only had a population of 50 to 75 people, new faces stood out, particularly when they frequented one of the only social hubs in the area. Um, Remy and Jose would both uh, make notes later on about the fact that like they, during the course of the next few days, they were constantly crossing paths and like running into them because like this is like, the only spot to hang out in town. Right, and they also had a basketball hoop, pretty cool. Um, so like, the cool. kids would be there. They had like a whole soda fountain situation. You know, you know the look. Um, and they would just run into him, just be like, "Oh yeah, you're the," you know. They wouldn't really talk to him, and like also the the super young soldiers uh, were just kind of just like they were just caught up in their own shit. You know, like they were doing their own thing. They can give the hell. They couldn't give a shit less about a bunch of little kids just kind of like running around. But the kids knew exactly what was going on there. You know, um, so the soldiers like, what are they thinking? Like they're they're seeing like a UFO crash, and they're just like acting like 
they don't know it's a UFO crash. I, know, I mean, they could be thinking. So like, they just told the soldiers, "You guys are gonna go clean a weather balloon," and they're they could believing be it. Saying, they could be saying um, that it's like some other country's like aircraft or something, and they're or just they're like sure, country. and they need to recover it for like you know. I mean, like reverse engineering or something. I mean, it's just so funny that they're just like sure, and then let's go well, eat. I mean, in the army, you're not really allowed to say no. Yeah. That's what you. That's what you get paid that bonus for. When I know, you sign but like up. once you get there and you see the the, the aircraft, well, aren't you like this is you're, something different? You're you're looking at this, um, and you and you're totally right. Um, but you're also looking at this from like uh, different um, time periods. It's the future. It's the future. Two or three days past, like the atomic bomb. <laughs> Before that, it was um, you know just mortars and it was shells and it was bombs being dropped out of plane that was the biggest thing you had to worry about this is two years before the term flying saucer was invented they could have just been like this is a new top secret project there was a problem those scientists them fucked up again and we got to clean it up look i don't want any questions about anything i just need you to go out there and do your american job and they're just like yeah fuck it i mean we're out in the desert for a few days and fuck it you know like we're away from him later Later on, during, like, the Cold War and the start of the Cold War, that's when the thoughts that, like, that you just kind of expressed about, like, or, sorry, that, that Selena just expressed about, um, we want to reverse engineer it. We want to get behind the scenes. We want to know what they're doing. And, like, that's where that vibe kind of comes into um, the cases around UFO cover-ups. Back at the ranch, Jose and Remy quickly picked up on the recovery team's daily routine. Over the next few days, the boys would time their own clean cleanup efforts to perfectly match with the soldiers' lunch trips into town. And what kind of things did they find? Anybody? Anybody want to know? I mean, they're doing gadgets. this. They, come on, you know, they're doing this cleanup effort. They're, you know, like they're kind of daily, daily, weapons. Thing, right? Space <clears throat> I'm gonna say this is where Inspector Gadget started from. <laughs> Potentially, he was one of their one of their kids. Um. <laughs> All right, so what the kids found. They proceeded to pick up and fill bags, literal whatever size bag. I mean, they don't actually get into the size of the bag, but there's multiple of them. Whatever size you pictured, multiple of those. It's like a Santa Claus bag. (laughs) It's more UFO shit than you got. Okay, so it's a lot, right? Um, They proceeded to pick up and fill bags with this strange fibrous substance they called angel hair it got its name because it reminded them of the decorations they would use around christmas oh, which the pasta <laughs> <laughs> well spoiler this stuff would eventually be used as a decoration for christmas product of the day alien angel hair christmas tinsel put it on your mantle put it anywhere because it'll end up everywhere no matter what Product of the day. Not just at the Padillas, not just at the Baca's home, but as a gift and given all over the town. And while the substance did have a tendency to cut you when you touched it too long, and sure, it was strange how those cuts wouldn't make you bleed, people just loved how it produced its own light when it was sitting in the dark. That sounds like radiation to me. Yeah. Who the fuck knows? But a lot of people got exposed to it. Oh my god. I wonder if there's oh. ever been studies done in that town of people dying of maybe cancer or anything in that certain area. That would time. be that would be a very easy cover up considering everybody at the time just got exposed to radiation. That is very true, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that any of the shit was planned, but I'm just saying like retroactively, like easy case to me. I mean you're saying uh, you said in the last episode, a painting could be told if it was mm-hmm. fake or like, you know, the time period it was made from the yeah. other side of the planet based off yeah. of that test. Well, like, it, pretty sure the people next door are probably, you know, glowing when they take off their clothes to get in bed. And what would be funny is if the government, if this was before the atomic bomb went off, they would have said it was an alien that gave those people cancer. It was an alien spaceship <laughs> just to cover up the nuclear bomb and from, from war. <laughs> Ha-ha. Ha-ha. We have them tricked. <laughs> I mean, they died pretty, like, old, like... What, 90, I think? They had they lived to the 90s? 80, 90s? Who? Who? Um, Jose and, and Remy. Jose's still alive. Oh, well, uh, there you go. Remy passed them. away a number of years back. He would probably be about in his 80s, yeah. 
Yeah, so they lived a long time for being exposed to that. Wow! Like, every time you speak about them, I just picture two adults because of how they're behaving behaving throughout this whole thing. Like, I feel like I'll be so immature about it, and I'm Mm -hmm. in my 30s, so they're, like, seven, nine years old, and they're, like, being super mature. Oh, yeah. I mean, they grew up with a lot of responsibilities and Mm -hmm. stuff. But they still have the the tendencies of kids. Of course they do. You know what I'm saying? Like it's still it's still like I after so much was put on them being like so so mature and this and that and I and I understand that that gives the bias of like their testimonies more legitimate, right? I understand that, but but the reality is even if you are highlighting that it still happened. They still did that. So even if they were doing it and goofy, they were still being very serious, very responsible at the time. Whoa. They also found pieces of the OG UFO classic, Memory Metal. Pieces of metal that looked like the foil that came inside of your mom's pack of cigarettes. But you could fold this up as much as you wanted to and it would magically unfold itself, going back to its original shape. That's awesome. Yeah. Another That's fun fact. Cool. Well, later, one of Jose's uh, family members noted when she was playing around with it, it would stay cool to the touch regardless of how hot it was out there in the desert. Whoa. It's classic. That's what that pillow is made of. That always cool pillow. (laughs) And so basically, anything and everything was fair game except for the craft, which obviously had the most amount of military attention on it at the time. Now... In total, the operation would end up needing a new gate, road building equipment, an acetylene welder to build a custom ramp, a 15 to 20 foot tall crane, a large flatbed semi, before the military was finally ready to haul off their weather balloon. Goddamn. <laughs> And what I imagine happened afterwards is they drove up to the, drove, closed the gate, drove up to the house, and were like, we'll bill you for it later. <laughs> yeah. More or less. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and so on Saturday, August 25th, Jose and Remy watched as the soldiers awkwardly tried to lift, drag, and then balance a 30-foot-wide avocado on the back of a flatbed truck. <laughs> out there in the middle of the fucking desert, these uh, bumps on a log as <laughs> they've been so far are just like, middle to the left, middle to my leg, it's on my leg. You know, like, what the fuck are they, like, how do you, what do you do with that? Like, can you imagine <laughs> a, a 30 foot <laughs> avocado? But there's the seed. Just don't cut your hand. There has to be the, it's an avocado, but like, a Take 30 feet out. What the my, fuck do you, my, how do you get it out? My Put question. It my well, you should have been there. <laughs> is why didn't avocado saucer come as the the term instead of flying saucer? I know, right? Or flying avocado? Like, shouldn't that be the name of it? Like, I feel like that would be the name instead of flying saucer. Yeah. And now no, on to a side story. Two years later, uh, Kenneth Arnold was flying in Washington State. Um, eventually. Um, after he started to report to, you know, reporters or go to go to journalists and tell them the strange crafts that he saw that were moving across the sky as he was flying his little plane across the sky. Um, he didn't say that they were shaped like saucers. He said they were skipping across the sky like saucers. But it was picked up in the media and they called them flying saucers. Again, this is before all this shit. There was no what stereotype. What does that even mean, skipping like saucers? Just like, like imagine a like plate, a, like like a stone, like you know those stones that you yeah. need to like, they have to be thin and like smooth, like mm-hmm. a saucer, like that. That it was skipping as if it was made like one of those objects. It didn't have anything to do with the way it looked. It had to do with the way it moved. But yeah. it says skipping like saucers. Different time period. And he's trying to explain some shit nobody's tried to explain before. So, like, you know, I ain't going to fault the dude on not having the best metaphors and allegories for these types of things, you know. 
he just saw some shit. Like, we can give it to him. Yeah, it was the reporter's fault. But, like, later if you... Uh, there's some really great photos online that you can look. If you look up Kenneth Arnold, just go to Google Images, look up Kenneth Arnold. Eventually you're going to find a black and white photo of him, like, pretty fucking stoked, standing next to a rendition of uh, his explanation of what he saw. It actually kind of looked more like the original Batarang than it did <laughs> a saucer. Like, it kind of had that, like, whoop, whoop, like, kind of, like, shape to it that went down. They eventually had to lean in on its side to get underneath an overpass that they would eventually have to clear. So, again, keeping in mind, this is a weather balloon. Um, they had to put this big old avocado that they basically, you know, they had to go to the war. They didn't really have time for for basic schooling and shit. So they were, they were doing the best they could out in the desert, right? It might have been smart folks, but not this day. Um, they were trying to balance this thing on the back of a flatbed truck. Very difficult. And they had to, like, tilt it, kind of, like, awkwardly on its side. Once secure, the soldiers covered the craft with a blue tarp, and the boys watched as they proceeded to drive it out of the canyon and park it just outside of the gate. And, as tradition is, the soldiers then loaded up and headed out for the night, leaving the truck and an opportunity. Jose and Remy began making their way towards the craft, sneaking along the fence, getting just near the back of the truck. And with the coast clear, they hopped the fence, hoping to finally get a closer look and have one more chance to take home another souvenir. Top secret, top secret. this is top secret. If it was super, super, super top secret, why did these folks get away with just completely not giving a fuck? But if it wasn't important, why did they scout out the area, pinpoint where it was, and then figure out what the fuck they needed to do all over the course of about a day before going to the property owner's house, again, before the internet and shit, going directly to the property owner's house, telling them, these are the per permissions that we need. This is exactly what we're going to do. They had a plan in place before they even fucking got there. And this is roughly 48 hours after it happened. So this is, but then they send this crew in. This is like a weird moment in time where it's like they were not professional they were awkward <laughs> like all the the burns that i gave them earlier like they kind of sucked at what they did at the time you know and then it took them like i think about a week or so to actually fucking do all this shit like they suck but my one point on this yeah it's called billable hours <laughs> yes the guy who came over was the boss he yes. was like i got so much to do I got everything already set up. I know what's going on. And the guys at the hour, the guys that came up and picked it up were like, I guess I'm just going to dig this hole for the next five hours. Yeah. We'll see how my week goes. <laughs> I'll just head up to the owl bar after the shift's over. Got a cute little waitress down there that I've been meaning to, uh, to ask if they could serve me a coffee. I I'm, I'm, pretty fucking nervous about it but um but but i've been seeing her and she's supposed to come in on thursday though she had she had a little bit of a sniffle on wednesday so she might not be there but we need more time i mean if, if they were from if they were from the army most likely they're also very very happy and kind of ecstatic that the war was pretty much over at that point, yeah. because and they probably were just like, eh, what what are they gonna do? They're not gonna send us to war anymore. I mean, what could be anymore. worse than <laughs> war? This is the Black Cat Report. Thanks for listening so far. You can find us on all major streaming platforms. You can also find us online at blackcat.report. And now we're back to the second part of the podcast. The soldiers then loaded up and headed out for the night, leaving both the truck and an opportunity. Jose and Remy began making their way towards the craft, sneaking along the fence until they were just near the back of the truck. With the coast clear, they hopped over the fence, hoping to finally get a closer look and one more chance to take home a souvenir. Jose begins lifting and looking underneath the tarp. 
Pretty soon he finds a hole in the side of the craft. He climbs in. Remy stands near the opening and holds up the tarp to let in light. It's almost entirely empty. No seats, no controls, no switches or rooms, no walls, nothing. Just a large, empty space with dark gray floors and light gray walls and ceiling. Jose looks around for a bit, trying to find anything, anything at all that they can take. Finally, he spots it, a panel on the very back end of the craft. He tries to pull it off, but it seems to be attached with some anchors, something that just bolted basically into the wall. Eventually, he gets frustrated. He climbs out and he goes to the front of the truck. He goes to the cab. He starts looking for anything to help him break it loose. He finds a cheater bar, which by our terms, loosely, it would almost be like a tire iron mixed with like a, I don't know, a crowbar, right? It's, it's a tool for old trucks. Um, runs back in, climbs inside, goes straight back to the panel and starts heaving and hawing on it, trying to get it off the wall. Pops the panels, and the boys make off with a two and a half foot wide souvenir that they would soon name Tesoro, Spanish for treasure. After that evening, excitement began winding down. The craft was gone, and everything seemed to have worked out. For nine days, the boys managed to avoid being spotted or caught by both the recovery crew and their parents. They finally saw the inside of the craft and they got to grab one final souvenir. Life was returning to normal until the day Faustino suddenly got contacted by a military official. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> they wanted permission to search their house and property. Ooh. <laughs> Once there, the soldiers proceeded to dig through everything. They began taking any random scraps of metal that they could find across the property. Um, at one point, it's noted, they actually took uh, Faustino's old uh, voting registration records. Right? They were just taking shit, whether for um, sinister reasons or straight-up incompetence. But I have no idea what the hell his voting registration had to do with the weather balloon. Um, <laughs> And ironically, they began taking old weather balloons that the Badillas would often find littering left all across their 80,000 acres. Again, right next to the first atomic bomb blast. They were so used to finding weather balloons, and the military gave no fucks about letting them land where they land, and Americans going along and picking them up and dealing with it. That was fine, that was acceptable at the time. They had a pile of these things just sitting there because nobody fucking wanted them, right? Which made the absurdity of what uh, the sergeant asked about that much worse. I'm going to come in. I'm going to cut your gate. It's for a weather balloon. In the background behind in my picture, literally a pile of weather balloons. <laughs> you know, and he's right. like, it's for a weather balloon. <laughs> you <know>? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So... It makes it a little bit more hard to swallow, you know. Like, um, right. But this is our official record. This is what we got. This is uh, our special weather balloon. Yeah. This is super top secret. So top secret, no one knows how it works. <laughs> like, after all this searching, after all this digging through the uh, uh, through the Padilla's home, right? Uh, they couldn't find it. At least they couldn't find the one thing that they were probably looking for, the sorrow. When Jose caught word of the impending search, he rushed over to Remy. Remy quickly got it and hid it beneath the floorboards of a storage house across the street. Not long after Jose's property was searched, did a guest arrive at Remy's. Pedro Anaya, a sheep herder and a close friend of Remy's dad, Alejandro. He had just completed a trip to the stockyards where he delivered his herd, and after striking a deal with the Bacas, he moved into the family's old storage house. His bedroom, of course, was the same room the Sora was hidden underneath. 
What happened next to Pedro was told directly to Alejandro and Remy only hours after it happened and is, in my opinion, one of the most incredible moments ever recorded in ufology. One night, Pedro is woken up by a strange light outside near the well. He got up and moved over to the window. I looked out the window and next thing, there's these three little critters in my room and the door's locked. They're pointing down at the floor saying, Tesoro, there's a treasure down there. So I got my rifle and I'm gonna shoot them because they have no business in my house. And so I got my rifle and they're gone. But you know what? They went right through the wall. Can you believe that? I just want to say you can't get more American than that right at this point. Of being like, I'm going to get my... And saying it, too. Not yeah. even like looking... Not even just like going to get it. He was like, I'm going to get my gun. And they're gone. Like, Could give a... Oh, shit. Yep. Could give a fuck less about, again, keep this all in mind, three little creatures. So they yep. were the aliens. Yeah. yeah that's it's pretty strongly hinted. Yeah. Like, they never explicitly say that in the book or in the research or anything like that but like the aliens safe to that's what, that's what so the aliens the missing safe to no he, it was the guy was talking no 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 no, no 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 the aliens said, were saying oh, that said the aliens were pointing down at the floor they appeared in his room and were pointing it's down at the floor saying Tesoro Tesoro there's a treasure down there so pointing the exactly <laughs> uh, they probably could have heard somebody could heard the kids talking about it. Who the fuck knows? Maybe I mean, knows. maybe they speak all languages. Well, after hearing him out, they headed over to see what these creatures were pointing at. It's the exact spot Remy hid the Tesoro. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert. Um, but <laughs> yeah, the aliens spoiled it. Um, so they pried the floorboards. Nothing. They start digging, but again, they don't see anything unusual, and they give up. The next day, Remy tells Jose he needs to come over and get the Tesoro. He does, and he hides it in a box with a bunch of random old things, and it was stored underneath his family's house. Weeks would pass, and months then years and eventually decades. Jose and Remy both left San Antonio. Jose to California and Remy just a year later, 1955. They lost touch. Life went on. And it would be 47 years before they would reconnect. How do you go on with your life after that? I don't know. No clue. But they both through just a mutual hobby that they found when they both retired. And they both started getting into their genealogy. When they got into their genealogy, randomly one day back in 2002, they connected online and started talking again. Facebook. Eventually. That was MySpace. <laughs> MySpace. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oreo. Oh. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> Please yeah, come on. Oh my god, we should get Tom on as a guest. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> okay, before we kill the vibe. So, so they connected on a genealogy website. The Tesoro only moved once between 1945 and 2002 when Jose visited the ranch, his old family ranch, in 1963. And he brought back a bunch of old boxes to be stored in his attic forgotten about in his house in California. How do you forget about that? Life went on. <laughs> they grew up, you know, they became teenagers. Oh, fuck. There's so many details in this book. They get into the the science, the math. Um, you learn about the fact that, like, Jacques Vallée drove Paula Harris absolutely insane trying to figure out over the, uh, I want to say it was six years that he was researching this with her. She had already been researching it for a number of years before that, when he wow. connected with her. Um, I think in total it was something like 18 years of research went into wow. this incident right here. Um, but anyways, he drove her fucking mad trying to figure out how big was the truck 
that <laughs> went through the gate um, for a very legitimate reason, but only a nerd could think of it that way. He said, if it wasn't a standard truck, more or less, um, and if it was different than that, that that would mean that they had different weight requirements. So by figuring out the size of the truck, the number of wheels, the model, the make, and everything like that, we can figure out what its limits were. And if we can figure out what they didn't use next to a testing site, which had every piece of military equipment on the planet, then we can figure out why they chose a specific model. It's fucking brilliant. I mean, the guy is so many times over brilliant. Um, they eventually figured it out. It was an 18-wheeler. Um, and so Jacques Fillet, after years of pissing off Paola, um, came to the conclusion that the... Um, the you know, weather balloon, weighed between 4.5 and 5,000 tons. Wow. <laughs> you know, like the government waste. That's what I think. Um, but <clears throat> anyway, so fast forward to Sorrow. Uh, eventually, you know, uh, Remy and Jose, you know, they reconnect in 2002. They start talking. Obviously, they have so much to kept the like catch up on. And with an insane story like this which barely existed in the world when it did come up in any books at all very obscure you know ufo nerd books um it was just a footnote so it took a while eventually they did start talking and they started talking about the incident and they started asking like have you thought about this since it happened like da 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 and while they do, at certain times, if you're really looking at the details, like have slightly conflicting views on things, um, more or less agree, um, they had actually written about it individually over Aww. years and like kept a diary, kept notes of their thoughts around these things. And although it's a dirty phrase to say, they compared notes. Um, and they're pretty much fucking identical. Around this time, uh, between 2008-2010, that's when Paola Harris got a hold of Remy. That's when she was tracking down this case, this rumored case. Um, while Jacques Fillet fills up a huge section of the book, and I feel like she kind of gets stepped out of the way because she had already done so much work. Jacques Fillet never does that, but a lot of people commenting on it does. Uh, if it wasn't for Paola Harris, Jacques Fillet would have had nowhere to start with his research she was fucking holding it down and um yeah so she did the interview at some point uh which i thought was funny um the tesoro or a piece of the tesoro and through the timeline uh got fedexed to remy <laughs> and they got it and now as of a year and a couple of months ago the last update i could hear about it is it is at Stanford University, um, where Jacques Vallée is uh, at least stationed or partially working at. He, he has so many different options to work at so many different universities um, between Paris and the United States. Um, he's there, and there's a team of folks that have been actively studying it. And the government's just cool with this? Well, Jacques Vallée, from what I... Give her, like, picture... Like, you see in those movies, those people that have a briefcase with, like handcuffs on and then they're also handcuffed a briefcase you never saw that shit okay well it's the stereotype this is a thing is like super top secret you know it's like it's so secret that like you can't even steal this briefcase you have to steal me with it oh crap i'm stolen with my it arm off. yeah it's like very serious um jacques fillet and references that i've heard from other folks um talking about interactions with him during testing of materials um his response when people are like, how come you, like, literally are always holding on to that? Like, we're in a lab for 12 hours today, and you're just holding it. You know, it might be wrapped in something, but you're just keeping it in your hands. And his response, these things have a tendency to disappear. <laughs> um, that One of the most important things here, well, uh, I know I said that a million times. What from it so far after so many years? In the book, they go over a lot of big numbers I don't understand. Um, but some of the earlier tests said that it was terrestrial, you know, it was from Earth, not that surprising, right? Um, 
but then some of the other tests said that it was not typically terrestrial. And then you have to look at all of these different tests and be like, was this terrestrial for 1945? Right, for the understanding of metallurgy and science in 1945. We might say it's normal now, but again, going back to one of our earlier metaphors, drop a Ferrari off or whatever in like in the middle of like Manhattan in the 1800s and I mean, I don't know what the fuck it is, later they will. So there's that. I mean, he says like, why is there always radiation at the, the point of um, supposed crash sites? Why wouldn't there be water? Why wouldn't they be using hydrogen? Most prominent molecule in the, in the entire universe in the galaxy right like you should probably use that if you're going to make a gas out of something um so maybe it would just leave a few water drops on the ground and then take off again right i well, mean that would make sense but the thing has to be important for the aliens to come back and point at it in like the soto yeah <laughs> like but... why would the aliens take time after crashing mm -hmm. to then go back to this guy's house in the middle of the night when when he's sleeping and they're just like yeah. you know the sort of yeah. like it has to be important <laughs> maybe i don't know maybe they were just trying to hitchhike um maybe you know, like i think pedro um efficiently scared them off because <laughs> <laughs> pedro gave no fucks and like and if there's some crazy advanced species like you know like maybe we shouldn't be seen our shit's semi-invisible sometimes if you're not thinking about it you know like uh, da, 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 da. and then she's like fuck you i'm getting my gun they're like god damn <laughs> and they bounced right like they bounced before you could even get it you grabbed it they're fucking gone i don't know um i mean they could have like literally just have seen what happened in that area with the atom bomb blowing up and then they could have been like man is this the projectile weapon that launched that bomb you know, mm -hmm. like, it just depends on, you know, they might not have seen where it came from. Or, you know, if they're talking about how the, why don't they use, like, um, some kind of crazy hydrogen thing. It's like, I go back to the argument of, it's a trebuchet. Mm -hmm. Two steps back, one step forward, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, maybe in their, their, their species or civilization, it's very much the same. Where they're just like, we still haven't figured out how to do this, you know, how to build it. And they might be at a, a place where they're intergalactic, but not yet, like, past the point of renewable energy or something like that, you know? Or maybe so, it doesn't affect them the way it affects us. Could be, they could be used yeah. to it, yeah. Fucking, like that. They might not know it's there. This might be their first time, because they did yeah. technically crash. Like, thinking about uh, it, they... They did. Uh, well, the best assumptions. And thank you for... Thank you so much for bringing that up. Like, there's, um... After all the research, after all the analysis, after testimonies and piecing together everything, um, the the latest theory hypothesis behind this is that lightning hit the craft. Right early on, the kids had just discovered the calf thunderstorm was coming in. They went up, they ate, da 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 da. They were going back towards it right at the end of the lightning storm, the thunderstorm, and then like boom happens. And they hear it. That well, do it. they think that lightning hit the craft and that the craft then hit a radio tower, right? Which is the one that the, which I think I said wrong in the last episode, the B-29 bomber ended up flying over, seeing the messed up tower. They think that the craft hit the tower and then actually had a controlled land. And the reason why they have, they think that it was a controlled land was because of the distance between the tower and where it ended up and the height of the tower, right? If this thing's only 80 feet tall, right? Um, <laughs> a four and a half to 5,000 ton metal object, not gonna go that far, <laughs> right? So they can pick up on that along with a bunch of other things. The fact the path actually had like a hard turn at the end of it and a bunch of other fun nerd shit. Again, go out, check out the book. Um, but yes, you can't hit it but like I mean, yeah yeah that guy's the sully of aliens the guy who saved all the people on the plane the, the alien saved all the people on the plane on the on the aircraft i mean if they were you know the air the aircraft was on fire of, or the craft was on fire so it's like he saved them or she it maybe. saved them you know could have or maybe there were more and who knows and 
Yeah, because that's a big craft just for three little guys. <laughs> yeah. We don't know what the fuck the craft does. I mean, they'd be throwing up, like, you know, astronauts into space. There's, like, four of them on there. And things like, <laughs> like, we have pieces of it flying off as it's going on its way. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. it's pretty hard for us to get out of here. We've been trying. Trust me, I'm from Ohio. I made it as far as North Carolina. But, like, yeah, it's, I'm trying to get out. To me, reading through this, puts everything that happens at Roswell in context. Where it's just like, the way the government reacted, right? Well, there was one honest person there, and then, you know, he got out. Um, but, like, he was there for a day. And totally was like, oh my god, you guys. Um, but the way they proceeded to follow with, if you follow the narrative or the, the story behind it, a cover-up, right? Um the stereotyping of the ranchers the like just like so many things and then later on with things that are kind of coming out today and being accepted where it's like ufos aren't just nuts and bolts but there is a psychical kind of connection to them and to aliens and all this um a lot of these things get displayed in this story which happened before roswell before the term and before the pop culture Follow the phenomenon next week when we delve into Bigfoot. Just remember you can always follow us at blackcat.report and please remember to like and subscribe. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the other side.